Welcome to the Culture of Leadership. We have conversations that help you develop and become a more confident leader. This is my conversation with Matt Kelly. Matt's a leader who knows how to change organisational culture. In 2019, he was internationally recognised for it, being the first Australian to be invited to speak at the world's leading patient experience summit held by Cleveland Clinic in Ohio. He was also named New South Wales Business Leader of the Year. As Head of Regional Operations North, Matt's a member of the executive team at Healthy Care, which is a leading private hospital operator in Australia. Culture is the behaviour you accept in your business. Ultimately, the senior leader drives the behaviour. Matt shares what he does and how he works with his team to create an organisational culture that brings them delight, not despair. He also unpacks what he calls the triangle of T and how it's linked to changing organisational culture. This is the Culture of Leadership podcast. I'm Brendan Rogers. Sit back and enjoy my conversation with Matt. Trust is a big thing for me. So as I went into more senior roles, I always tried to make sure that I create an environment, a trust where people could feel safe enough to be vulnerable and say what they weren't happy with. I think that's part of, you know, this whole values conversation as well is what's important to people really is drawn out through that process. And trust is a funny thing as well. I mean, trust is a word that covers so many uh, different things uh, and can mean so many different things to people. Trust. I mean, you drive down the road and you trust that the person coming towards you on the other side of the road is not going to drive in front of you. That's trust. But you you also trust um, that you know people are going to use the information about you in a, in an appropriate and safe way as well. So you need to create that environment. What sort of trust do you believe is needed in that business environment that you've got great experience in when you're looking at culture change? I talk about the triangle of T. So in the, on the base of the triangle, you've got transparency. And I guess you could call it integrity or uh, that sort of just being true to what you say. Transparency and trust at the base of, of the triangle can lead to fantastic teamwork. If you have an environment of trust and you look at the performance of those people, it's very reflective of the culture. So if you have a culture of trust and high performance, then that, that's a great place to work. But if you've got a, a, a workplace of distrust and low performance, that's not a very great place to work. What does trust and distrust look like? So in the workplace, I guess you, you're really looking back at that vulnerability and honesty with each other about what behaviours and uh, what's acceptable in the workplace, and I guess this sort of leads into what's the culture of your workplace. Um, if you've got a distrusting environment, it's a, not a great reflection on the culture of the workplace. And I don't think anyone would try to set up a distrustful culture in their workplace because it's low performing, low, low production, not productive at all. So what's Matt Kelly's definition of culture? Culture, um, I, I guess it's it's a unique culmination of behaviours that are expected and accepted in the workplace. When I ask people about what's the culture like in your business, 
it's funny, a lot of people will go, oh, it's, it's love, it's great, or it's bad. And I said, well, that's actually not a description of your culture. That's a description of how you feel in that culture. That's an emotion. I think it was one of your, your previous um, uh, podcasts, I think it was with Norman, he talked about culture as being the personality of the place. And if, if I said to you, can you describe Matt Kelly's personality, you wouldn't say it's good or it's bad. You would talk more about what it's like to be with me. So I challenge people to think a little bit deeper about what's the culture like. Do you have a culture that's teamwork-driven, goal-focused, customer-service-focused, consumer-centric? How do you describe it? Or is it adversarial and distrusting and um, fractured? Because that's a great way to think about where you want to be as well and how to get there. You mentioned trust earlier and the T triangle. (laughs) Yeah. The T triangle. Triangle of T. The triangle of T. I'll get you to unpack that a little bit more, but the triangle of T, trust, transparency, keyword you use there at the bottom of the triangle, how does that relate to developing the culture that you're going to be delighted in and proud in? Yeah, transparency and trust uh, enhances the teamwork. If people are honest with each other, then people can respond better. So um, we've used values as, as a cornerstone for, to, to develop a culture and, and talk about behaviours that are acceptable or expected of people. Um, one of my favourite taglines that I use everywhere in any place of work I go into is um, the standard you walk past is the standard you're willing to accept. It's a, it's a quote from David Hurley, our Governor General now. He said it to a, a graduating year when he was in the armed forces. But I do use that as an example, especially in the orientation of new staff. If you walk past something and you see something that is not acceptable or you don't agree with it, don't walk past it. Stop, challenge it, ask why it's like that. It's a a platform that enables people to highlight things that are actually not okay with them in a safe way as well. And the standard you walk past might just be a piece of paper on the floor, you know, you know, they haven't closed the bin properly, the tap's running, that sort of stuff. But it also may be the way another staff member speaks to it, to each other. When we met at Gosford Private Hospital when you were CEO, I think you had three hospitals under your remit at that time. Do you remember anything significant about that time we met? Anything you may have did done in relation to the standard you set is the standard you walk past? What, the day just that you were there? Uh, no. <laughs> I was just so me. So it wasn't me memorable my for work, you. No. Well, so from my, my recollection of you being there that day was that I came to show you what we were doing with values around the hospital, how we were demonstrating it, how we were p- permeating that into the workplace. Visibility is very important. But um, just showing around the hospital as well. I don't believe you'd been to the hospital before, so it sort of took Thankfully, you around. No, <laughs> no, no, that's right, that's right. Um, I mean, from so, a good health perspective, I haven't been to the hospital. Yeah, yeah, and that's actually something that we talk a lot about when we talk about empathy. But we won't get into that just yet. But no, I don't remember exactly why you what obviously happened to your recall coffee? something. What happened to my coffee? Oh, if you start messing with my coffee, that's a problem. <laughs> I can't remember what happened with my I'll coffee. I'll stop teasing you. But in relation to the standard you walk past is the standard you set, the expectations you set. Mm. Then, so we got a coffee takeaway because we're walking through yep. and it was overfilled or there was a leak in it or something like that. And 
you went back and you got a wipe, but through the course of our journey around the hospital, actually it was very early on and it just dripped and it was sort of dripping and right. it dripped onto the floor. Right. And Did I clean it up? Yes. Oh, good. <laughs> and a really simple action, but believe me, not hospital specific, but I've certainly been in enough rooms in my time where somewhere like that could happen or stuff's left after a meeting and the leader has an expectation that someone else will clean that up. Yeah. And I've worked wh- for those leaders before. Haven't we all? Yeah. But I just it just flashed back at me. It was such a for me and the things I look at in leaders and a great example of what you're saying is it it was such a a pivotal moment about the sort of leader you were. My, to others it was maybe insignificant. But when you do that, and it wasn't a, remember it. it was just what you did. Yeah. You I, just did it without thinking. This is why it wasn't like, hey, can you get someone to clean this up for me or whatever? I've got someone. It's like you just made the effort. You went and got some stuff and cleaned it up. Yes. And you took on the responsibility. You took ownership of that. Boom. You weren't, hey, I'll get someone else on the CEO sort of thing. You just mm. did it. Yeah. Well, I guess that's a combination of my upbringing, my parents, but also my training as a nurse. Um, I I often challenge our managers to to consider don't ask someone to do something that you wouldn't do yourself. And you know when in my early days as management and and CEO even at Gosford Private I remember when we first started cardiothoracic surgery at the hospital. I had a lot of experience in cardiothoracic surgery. I'd come from a lot of training in cardiothoracic surgery in intensive care units down in Sydney and it was the first case that we'd done at the hospital. And so I followed that case right through through the theatre and went straight to intensive care, which is where I sort of cut my teeth as a nurse. Worked in a trauma intensive care unit in the UK and, and then worked around cardiothoracic ICUs. So when the patient came into ICU, I helped the staff get the patient into the bed and settled in and take handover from the theatre staff and and, and do a, a, an ECG on the patient. And the, the cardiothoracic surgeon took a photo of me. And I said, what, what are you doing? He said, I, I'm keeping this photo. This is the first time in my career I've ever seen a CEO do an ECG on a patient. And I think that's that's a fantastic thing for the surgeon to then go away and talk about our hospital, that we're, we're all there to look after the patient. But it's also great for your staff to to be able to see that you actually know what you're talking about. You've been there, you do it, you can do it, you know how to do it. But because of my role at the moment, I don't do it very often because they're here to do it. We've all got different roles and responsibilities and, you know, their role is just as important as mine. It's just different. So, yeah, so I would clean up after myself. (laughs) Your mum and dad would be very proud, I'm (laughs) sure. I'm sure they are. (laughs) If we think about your role as CEO previously and CEO of a few hospitals and culture – and starting to set the scene about how do we how to create a culture that we again, like I referred to, we delight in, we're really proud of. If you come into an organisation and there's always things to improve, but it's it's not where you want the culture to be. How do you assess that? What are you doing to start to make those observations and understanding where it is today, and based on your own experience, where you may want it to be into the future? I'm getting a bit more experience at that now because now I cover eight hospitals. I'm sort of walking into different environments each time. Initially walking in, it's about observation, walking around and being part of the culture, 
you know, being part of meetings, being part of the the, the core business, whether that's, you know, patient care delivery or, or serving customers, whatever it is, just observing what that's like and how people work in that environment. Chatting to the staff as well about how they feel about their workplace is really important. It also gives a reflection of the culture of what's acceptable and what's not acceptable, how um, good and bad behaviour is is dealt with, how performance management's looked at. But it, it also helps you form an opinion of what's important to the staff. Okay, what's important to the business? How does that marry up with what we're all here to do? How do we focus everybody on the goal of the place? So we try to use the platform of mission, vision, and values to frame that direction or the goals for the staff, for patients. We use that same platform to say to our patients, this is what you should expect from us. And if you're not experiencing this, we'd really like to know about it so we can improve it for you. And then you've also got to use it in performance management and maintaining that. Another little tagline, you'll you'll notice I love taglines, persistent consistency. You've got to persistently drive the message that the values are important, but you've got to be consistent with that message as well. Don't change the message. Be sure that you get the message right and continue to always bring it forward in all of your interactions. The setting of a culture is is something that you don't do in a boardroom room or in a meeting room or on Tuesday afternoon. It's actually a slow burn. It's something that takes a long time. Change is hard, but when you start challenging behaviours of people, that's harder. And there'll be a lot of lot of situations that you never expected. You should always expect the unexpected. Things will prop up that you never thought were going to be a problem in challenging people to follow the the, the business values and to reinforce those. Sometimes uh, it's when you're looking at reward and recognition. Sometimes people have never been rewarded for what they do. I've often had people taken aback just by simple words to recognize them for what they've done, even though it may be their job. But if they've done it in the right way and you've highlighted it as the way they've done that reinforces our company's vision and our values here, it might be the first time anyone's done that to them. And that can be quite confronting for some of them, but it also can be very rewarding. What's your view on the power of financial reward. Reward and recognition is a challenging thing. It's actually a minefield when you when you start to uh, so I'm talking about we're looking after a group of staff. I could 700 staff at Gosford Private. Now, you know, across my eight hospitals you're talking about 3,000 staff. Every one of those people feel rewarded in a different way. So tailoring a reward and recognition program that enables staff to actually choose from a way to be rewarded is really important. We have a platform in our company called Love Your Work, and it's a staff recognition platform. And each site sort of executes it differently. You know, we have Love Your Work barbecues and just, which is a generalization for all of the staff. But we also have Love Your Work awards. And these awards are sort of nominated to through patient compliments and staff referrals as well. They 
sort of refer each other for a Love Your Work Award. And we'll recognize them and give them a certificate, but then we'll talk to that person and go, what's rewarding for you? Is it is it a, a coffee voucher for the next two weeks? Or do you want to park in the CEO's car park for a week? Or do you want, you know, uh, some extra time to do something in particular? Financial reward will work for some people. They'll go, just give me the $200 gift voucher. I want the gift voucher for JB Hi-Fi. And if they get it and they go, thank you, then they're rewarded. But some other people um, I've found can also, it can offend them because they all of a sudden go, I was just doing my job. And I'm saying, yeah, but you did it so well and you're doing it the way we wanted you to. And they go, oh, I don't need that. When we walked around the hospital, I think we went and showed you the Love Your Work tree. You did. So in uh, in our staff room, we have laminated a tree on one of the pillars in the middle of the staff room. And beside the tree, we have all these flowers. And on each of the flowers is one of our five values. And on on the flower... Staff can nominate each other. Can they? Can, I would love to nominate Beryl for a respect value because she uh, really showed respect to the patient that f- in room two four three today. And they stick it on the tree. And so then, when the rest of the staff come in for lunch, or they're coming through for the rest of the day, or even they they scanning out going home. They see a new flower on there and then they go and ask Beryl about what happened with that patient. Oh, that's amazing. Good job. And then this momentum moves through the staff of reward and recognition just by highlighting the behaviours and uh, what's acceptable and what we expect of each other in focusing on that. We call it patient-centred care. We used to call it patient-centred care. We now call it person-centred care because we include staff in that person-centred our doctors our patients. We had one of our executives at a conference once say, the person that is standing in front of you should feel that you they are the most important thing in your day right then. So in your environment, that's what person-centred care means. Yeah. So when, when you've got that person in front of you, they should feel that they're the most important thing in your day at the moment. Can you name the values? Yes. <laughs> so we have five values in our company. And these are something, these five values are actually across our whole company. So we have 17 hospitals across the group, right down to Tasmania and as far north as Taree at the moment. Um, so our five values are very hospital focused, but we talk about best practice, best experience, respect, it's personal, and my favourite is positive energy. Tell us a bit about what does it's personal mean and look like in your environment. Yeah. So so it comes back to that person-centred care. So you talked about when you came into the hospital. Fortunately, I've never been to that hospital, right? We often reflect back to staff that you come here every day. It's your workplace. It's very simple. You don't have any worries about coming here. But nearly every single patient that walks in this place, if they had the choice, wouldn't be here. So there's always a drive to remember or have an empathy for the anxiety, the anticipation, the hope that nearly every patient comes through the door has for what we're going to do for them. And everybody's life experience is different. So we need to be able to tailor at the bedside for that person. It's a personal experience. 
that's what this person was about. What was your last one? I don't remember it. The one that's your favourite. Positive energy. Tell me about it. Positive energy uh, is a great reflection of, I feel, the culture in your workplace. It's been said before, but if you can measure or think about how much laughter is in your workplace between colleagues, that's a great reflection. I'm a bit of a positive person. I love to have a a joke and, and I like to see the positive side of things. But a happy, smiling person is great customer service, but it's also a reflection of someone's happy to be part of that culture. Someone's happy to be part of that workplace. Someone's happy in the execution of their role. So positive energy is important to use as a value for us, especially when we come back to the behaviours part. So if someone's not really demonstrating positive energy, the staff now have a platform to go, is that positive energy? Not only does it call out that maybe someone's not feeling positive today, but it actually reflects a mirror, just holds up a mirror in a non-confrontational way to another staff member to go, hey, you're starting to sound a bit sharp today. It's also a bit of a welfare check as well. We talk about the welfare check um, when people seem to be going off, off path. Is everything okay today? And that's something that, um, again, when I said you, you've got to expect the unexpected, that was something that was very challenging for some people. Their life experience had never really enabled them to ha- have a conversation with someone to check on them. When we started the project, uh, we knew that we already had a very good culture in, in Gosford Private, but we would like to improve on things. There's always the ability to change things up. And when we started with the leadership team, we really focused on the five values and what do they mean to us as a group? How does this look in our environment? But it became obvious that we needed to really equip them to enable difficult conversations, to equip them to educate the staff that they look after in how to do that as well. So we had to sort of backtrack a little bit as well and educate them on conflict resolution and behaviour management, those sorts of things. But when we talked about the five values, we, we talked about the do's and the don'ts. And as a leadership team, and when I talk about leadership team, it's not managers, just managers. So you can be put in a leadership role, departmental manager, those sorts of things, but leaders are also people who affect the culture. Leaders are people who others follow. Sometimes that's positive, sometimes it's not. But we, we as a leadership team got together and talked about each of the values and we talked about the do's and the don'ts. What behaviours do reflect this value? What behaviours don't? And how, how would we go about fixing that? And then we challenged them to take it back to their teams. So when I walked around the hospital, and we only chose one value a month, because as I said, it's a slow burn. You've got to take it a little bit at a time. Choose one value. Right, this month we're doing respect. And in each department, we want you to sit with your team and we want you to talk about if respect is a value in our department, what things, what behaviours do we do that support that value? What other behaviours also detract from that value? And it was interesting as I walked around the hospital, the do's were all very similar. The don'ts were different. And when you looked at the don'ts with that team, you actually started to realise that the don'ts were the things that were frustrating each other in that team. 
So each little team has a culture. And the things that were being called out as don'ts, some of the staff were looking at them look and go, oh, I do that. And they're going, okay, so other people aren't finding that as supportive of our values. So it changes people's behavior. And we do this right from day one at orientation. We do put up the five values and we get new staff to walk around and, and write down things and behaviors that they think would support our value and, and who, that would detract from it. So right from the beginning. In fact, we even put it in our interview questions. When people, we, we ran a scholarship for enrolled nurses and we asked for applications and we asked them and said, these are our five values. And if you were an enrolled nurse in our hospital, how would you demonstrate these five values in your daily work? And we used that as an application process and a vetting process. It was fantastic. And people get a real sense of what's important to the organisation before they even step in the door. We permeate that as well out in, you know, on our websites. We've got a YouTube channel with videos, that, that sort of stuff as well. In any of our communication, we use those things as well. So I'm getting a bit of a flavour that values are pretty important around culture. And in your organisation, you're a part of Healthy Care, there were values in place and there may have been some refinement over time, but those values, let's say, are, are pushed down through the organisation and People are expected to mirror and talk and do some of those things you're talking about. If I'm a, a business owner and my business may be traveling along okay and all of a sudden I've got staff and then I've got more staff than maybe what I can handle competently because they've not had to do that before, what advice do you give to me to say, hey, well, values are important around culture and getting something that delights you. Here's how you need to start that ball rolling. How do you create a set of values that are unique to that yeah. organization. Yeah. So if you if there's values in place already, just a sense check, is that what we still are? Is that still reflective of where we want to be? If you don't have them in place, then yeah, you've got to start right at the beginning with the mission, vision, and values. So what's the goal of the business? And do you have a framework set and established to enable you to build on that? So do you have clear policies and procedures or uh, employment contracts around what's expected for a code of conduct, um, performance management, um, HR types of things? Do you have those tools ready to fall back on if you need to? And then uh, is everyone aware? Is this something that was done in a meeting room on a boardroom, put on a, bo- a poster in the in the corner and then forgotten about? Sense checking yourself as well as have I been demonstrating this? How am I reinforcing this? How am I being persistently consistent with the message about what's important here and what our values are? So if you have those and it's just that we've got new people and we haven't had the opportunity to highlight them then, then it, it's about communicating that. Like we use an orientation, you know, first day at work, Sit down. These are this is our policies, our procedures. This is you know your mandatory education, but this is also what's expected of you here. And we we use that platform to then remind the rest of our staff that are all, all already there that it's we're still telling all the new staff that these are our values. And as I said, if you permeate the values into everything you do in in your daily communication to staff, we have a platform. Uh, uh, it's just like Facebook. 
all of the staff are on it's called workplace and you know we send out comms with regards to policy changes and you know when when the next education session's on or or what meetings on or those sorts of things but we also use it with the love your work so we do lots of hashtagging hashtag positive energy hashtag best practice hashtag you know again using the values using the values to link back someone has demonstrated best practice look at what they've done or we're educating about uh, aseptic technique today. Come on down and do your mandatory education. Hashtag best practice. It's important to, to permeate it into everything you do. It's also important that um, people understand what you mean by best practice or respect or positive energy. And we What's do- a best practice do versus a best practice don't? So best practice. Best practice do's are follow, following policy and procedure cleaning up uh, the spilt coffee on the floor. When you keep dropping your coffee over the place. When I keep dropping the coffee all around the hospital. (laughs) That's that's one of my things. Um, It's those unsteady hands. Yeah, yeah, too much coffee. (laughs) It's shaking all the time. Vicious cycle, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I I get a long black with a dash of skim, and I don't know what it is with plastic cups or whatever it is, but they tend to always drip. That's why I've got keep cups. I'll put my keep cup in there. That's why I've got keep cups now because they don't drip. Anyway, side note. Um, don'ts are shortcuts. You know, you, you're not putting the right waste in the in the correct bin. Um, you're not using the correct um, technique for bandaging. You know, whatever those sorts of things. It's about policy and procedure and the, the sort of gold standard of care that we provide. So that's what it means in our environment. So yes, it's important to to make sure that people understand what they or, or that you expect when you say best practice. And we do a little technique if you want to try a little technique that we do with you've new got staff. paper for I've me. I've got a ta- I've got a piece of paper here for you, right? Wow. Our interview will continue after this. An expression of gratitude or reciprocity, no matter how large or small, is an important part of a healthy culture and relationships. Our friends at Jangler have a great app that allows you to send a gift card with either a personal video, voice message, or funny gif. You can send it right away or schedule to send on the perfect day and time. So it can be something you set and forget. It's perfect for clients, employees, birthdays, and any celebration where you can't be there in person. It's quick, easy to send, and you can spend instantly in-store or online when you receive a card. Check it out at www dot jangler.com.au that's www.jangler.com.au now or, or you can draw it anyway just draw draw anyway well draw it here because mark yeah. has said that i can't move the laptop no, because enough. it might get in the <laughs> yeah. in the shot or something yeah you know do, what do i need to do that. so we we've got brand new or you imagine you're in orientation and and I just say to them or I give them a pen and a paper and I say, without asking me any questions, without looking at what the person beside you is doing, without really thinking about it. I've got no one beside me, mate. Yep. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Draw a picture of a tank. Of a tank. Yeah. Now, you won't be assessed on your artistic skill. I hope not. Really, this is about you just documenting down. When I ask you to draw a tank, you draw it. Note for those... Listening to this episode, I'm drawing on the remarkable, a beautiful tank at the moment. I'm just putting 
the big gun bazooka maybe out the front of it. All right. I'd say that's wheels. enough detail. We get the idea what you're drawing, right? Are you bored with my tank already? <laughs> Not at all, but... <laughs> Do I show you my tank? No, because I can see from here, but... So you've described exactly what you've... Well, I better show the drawn. audience yeah, my show, tank. Yeah, show your They'll audience. They'll be very yeah, interested yeah, in seeing go. my tank. It's, it's almost you see looks my like tank? a submarine sort of thing. Anyway. It's an aqueduct tank. Mm. But then what I do is I put up on the board three pictures and say, who drew this? And the first picture is a water tank. And invariably, we always have a couple of people put their hand up. And the second picture I put up is a fish tank. And there's always a few people that have drawn that. And the last one I put up is exactly what you've drawn there. It's a tank, military tank. But we use that example to say, when I say tank, when I say respect, when I say best practice, when I say you immediately have a thought in your mind. All right, scrub that out. This is the second part of the exercise. This time I'm going to get you to draw another picture, but I don't want you to draw a single thing until you are 100% sure what I want you to draw. Brendan, please draw a pen. You can ask me any question you like to just make sure that what you have in your mind is what I want you to draw. Don't draw anything until you are 100% sure what it is. I have an image of a pen in my mind. Tell me about the pen. So the pen is a black pen and it's just... I a, guess it could be black. It's got just one of those little plastic things hanging off the side of it, so you just put it in your pocket and you look really, really important. Oh, it's not that. It's not that? No. What pens do they have in hospitals? <laughs> well, it's, this is not a hospital-based question. <laughs> what other pens are they? What other pens? There's a sheep pen. Oh, yeah. A pig pen. Great. That's a exactly pen? that pig pen. That's exactly what it yeah, is. Yeah, you've got me. You've yeah. got my creative juices flowing, Matt. That's right. But so then, what invariably happens is around the group, everyone goes, "Ah, oh, how many sides to the pen? Is there a pig in it? Is there mud? How? Ma- is, what type of fence is it?" And and then I go, "Is everyone hundred percent sure what that picture looks like now?" And they go, "Yes." So then they all draw it, and nearly every picture in the room is the same. And I put it up on the board. It's exactly the same. Right, And we use that example, especially in health, in a hospital, especially with new staff, new nurses, new people around hospital environment. If you're not 100% sure what to do when you've been asked to do it, please ask. If you're not 100% sure what's expected of you when we ask, please ask. Make sure what you are about to do, what you're about to draw, is exactly what you've been asked to do because that's best practice. And that will give our patients the best experience. The other staff will respect you for it. You'll feel rewarded. There'll be a much more positive environment if everything's being done correctly. So that's a little example we use with our staff, just to get them in the mindset that just because I said respect doesn't mean, or just because someone's saying to you that that's not respectful doesn't mean that it is for you or vice versa. You need to make sure you understand that you're talking the same language. I need to quantify that. How important in your mind is the behavioral qualities and alignment of people coming into your organization versus the technical competence side? Where I need to quantify that is don't think of it from the hospital perspective, only think of it from a general business. Mm. I'm imagining that if the technical competence of your staff in a hospital is not where it needs to be, you'd like to think they're not going to be getting the job. So how important is it generically 
from a behavioural point for you versus technical competence? Behavioural reflects on both staff and patient experience or consumer experience. Let's talk from business. So technical, uh, we're very good at uh, elevating people who have technical expertise but might not have great managerial expertise. And the same goes in reverse. You could have people with fantastic people skills but still need to be technically enhanced through education. I think it's the mindset of the, of the person that's important in, in having them in their role. If you've got an environment of improvement and a culture of query where people are always checking on how they're doing things and trying to make sure they're doing it right and improving on that, then you'll always win with your staff. They'll feel re- rewarded and you're developing parts of them to make them feel more rewarded but also better employees. Behaviour has a fantastic way of just dragging people down when bad behaviour starts and it it can just snowball and culminate. So unless you've got a framework in place to be able to stop the snowball growing, it will be extremely difficult to stop that, the momentum of that. What's a framework that's worked for you? Obviously, utilisation of the, the values is important, but in that performance management side of things, we obviously have some pretty robust performance management tools. We do talk about the ability to to raise a concern in a non-confrontational way early to s- sort of highlight the behaviour as, hey, that's not great, and then you can coach them into it. But really, as you get to the third time round, that's when you move to those more rigorous HR performance management tools whether you put people on performance improvement programs or plans or performance management plans, however you term those things. But it's a lot about clarity. If you come back to the triangle, transparency about what's expected, which is all about work and and the behaviour in that uh, workplace, which is supported by your policies and procedures, your code of conduct, the employee is quite clear then as what they need to do. They trust that you're there to improve them as an employee and keep them there as an employee. It'll just enhance the teamwork. What are the other parts of the triangle? Transparency, trust, and leads to teamwork. And if you don't have teamwork, then there's a trust fracture. If you don't trust each other, there's a fracture in the teamwork. And if you're not trusting someone, you're not transparent with them. So they're sort of connected to each other. That's why it's a triangle. They're sort of interrelated I do try and put the transparency and trust on the base of it because without those two things, you'll never lead to teamwork. But it's uh, it's something that uh, trust is is a difficult one. It's one of those base dysfunctions of a team. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners have talk, uh, may have heard of the five dysfunctions of a team. Let's hope so. Yeah. comes up reasonably often. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But it is. And, and trust just creates the environment to be vulnerable, to show your weaknesses and and to be able to build that teamwork. I do another uh, another little um, engagement. Let's talk, it's, a, it's almost a game. I call it- val- I'm game. I'm game, Matt. What do you got for me? I'll just tell you the, the framework of it. It's a, it's you think really, I'll be crap it's, at it, don't It's you? a team thing. It's a team oh, okay. thing. Okay. It's a team right. thing. I call it the value of 10. The value of 10? Yeah. So I came up with this because I heard a guy on TV one day say, Five plus five equals 10, but so does six plus four. And it made me think about the fact that if we think about 10 as the goal, 
what we're trying to do, the, the target of the day, the task, the the what we're trying to achieve. Sure, five plus five equals ten. Some people might not feel like they have the skill set of a five. So what I do is I actually give everybody a number between one and ten. And if I say, right, I want teams of two, you're not allowed to have the same number in your team and you've got to get to 10, go. Invariably, you end up with there's people fighting over the fives and there's people fighting over a six to try try and get to, to a 10. But essentially, you end up with five groups of people, one and nine, two and eight, three and seven, six and four and five and five. And then I get them all to sit down again. And then I say, okay, th- this next task is a little bit harder. So you actually need three people to build this team to do that task, go. And that's a little bit harder because you can only get three teams, one plus two, but oh, I'm not going to do the math, you'll figure it out. <laughs> then I get them all sit down again. And then the last one is, go. okay, this is a very complex task and no nine is ever going to be able to do this and we're going to need at least four people to do it, go. Everyone from five up is sitting there and going, I can't be on that team. Because I've already taken up half of the team. So you end up with a team of one, two, three, and four. And I use that task as a team building thing to say, we're all here and we all have different roles. And for each task, we, we have a different value maybe. And so, sometimes the task is so small that one person can do the majority of it and then someone else just comes through, the nine and the one. But other things are very complex in this hospital. And right from the second someone comes through the front door into your business, Wherever it is, one, two, three, and four each have a touch point with that customer. And everyone contributes to getting a 10 out of 10. That's just another little team building exercise I do. Love it. What's the craziest thing you've seen in that team building exercise? Oh, the, oh, the panic. There's this initial panic of some people as well. They're, oh, I've got to get it. I've got to get my team. I've got to get my team. And and then there'll be one person standing there with their nine going, I can't see anyone that can help me. Yeah, um, but yeah, it, it's it's always good. It always ends up with a few laughs as well, and um, it's engaging, you know. And it's non-confrontational. It just reinforces the fact that you may be excellent at your job, but without the twos and the threes and the ones and the fours, we'll never get a fantastic patient experience, consumer experience. We won't be able to reinforce best practice and have respect for each other. What's a leader's key role? or roles in this culture-building process? Leaders uh, are someone that I spend a lot of time making sure they're on the same page. As I sort of said before, a, a leader is someone that can be, it can be a positive or a negative role as a leader. We can have someone who is very negative, very anti-establishment or, 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 or against what we're trying to do, and they can get followers, so we spend a lot of time uh, engaging with the leaders, ensuring that they are on the bus. Let's talk about being getting on the bus, not on the bus, and and that they are clear and transparent with the message that we're trying to deliver. I often, when I'm talking to other executives about their teams, please think about your middle managers and your leaders as carrier pigeons. They are the carrier pigeons of your culture, and if you have uh, one leader who doesn't agree with the way you're going or doesn't buy into the the direction or is re- not actually on the bus, they're a leader. They'll get followers. They will end up with people following that direction and not where you're going. 
So it's pivotal and key to make sure that those leaders are on board with that. And again, persistent consistency, back-checking, making sure they're still on the bus, welfare-checking, are they still okay with it? Do they need some support in doing that? How does that support look? Is it just some more time, education, a chat, a coffee, or is it something more like time off? So you've been the CEO in you know large organisation, whether big, small, whatever, the ultimate leader. What are the things that you think each day they need to be very deliberate about that impact the culture? Maybe it's easier to talk about how I go about my day. Please. I sort of said about checking yourself. So I often, when uh, if I may have had a bad day about something else or some some other negative uh, thing that's going on in my role is affecting me. I always try to get me back above the line and talk above and below the lines, behaviors, do's and don'ts, get yourself into the right mindset. And however you do that, whether it's just getting another coffee or taking a breather or listening to some music, those sorts of things. On my phone, I've got a load of screenshots of funny memes or also just reinforcing leadership, role, culture, positivity, that sort of thing, however however you go about it. And getting yourself back above the line is also about um, breathing. So before responding, stop. If you're breathing in, you can't respond. Sometimes you might need to delay, delay what you're going to do. But once you're back above the line, is it's walking into the, the workplace Again, I'm a positive guy, so positive energy. One task I really try to do, and this is not an easy thing when you've got a hospital of 700 staff and a thousand other transient vendors, people, reps, those sorts of things coming in and out of the hospital each day or the business each day. But I try to remember people's name and saying, good morning, Brendan, is a simple task like wiping up coffee off the floor. But it actually is something that I never realised actually has an effect. I had a, a staff member in uh, one of the angiography suites in a, in a hospital who, um, she had just worked in that angiography suite nowhere else. I'd never worked with her anywhere else. I had met her on my first trip to this facility. And when I came back the next time, I remembered her name and said, oh, hi, Anna, how are you? And she's just stared at me. How do you know my name? I only told you my name once. She said, you're the first person, first executive I've ever met that remembered my name. Hi. It changes their face immediately. There's a recognition program, right? Yeah. <laughs> Reward What's recognition. Spoke. Yes, absolutely. In fact, actually in the UK, this is a little side note, there's a, there's a lady over there who ran a program, Hello, My Name Is. It's sort of the reverse. It's the introduction piece. It's, it's about... I'm not your nurse for the day, or I'm not your doctor for the day, or I'm not here. I'm not your customer service person today. I'm Matt. Hi, I'm Matt. That's just that opening. Names make it personal, don't they? Names make it personal. Positive energy, sort of, again, just hello, how are you? But also being president, president, wandering around the workplace. So walking through the area, cleaning up your coffee after yourself, talking to each other, talking to the staff um, is a real important uh, barometer for how things are. How's the productivity today? What's the flow look like? What's the the, the unit look like? What's the business look like? How, how are people feeling today? But it's also about 
being a step ahead of, of any little thing that might be starting to raise its head. And in that, those interactions in the corridor or, or in the corner of the workplace is when uh, you might find out a little tidbit that you might need to get onto before it escalates. What's your how I remember names hack? Uh, I try to picture someone else's face that I know well with that name. That's sort of basically it. But I do seem to have just a little bit of an aptitude for remembering people's names. My wife, po- I never realised I did it really. Um, my wife pointed it out to me once years ago that even answering the phone or calling a customer service centre or meeting someone the first time, I actually say their name. They introduce themselves and I go, oh, hello, Brendan, how are you? She said, you say their name all the time. I said, yeah, but it reinforces their name to me so then I remember. That also sets the person I'm uh, talking to, sets them up to think, okay, they know my name. That's all. also important when it comes to the negative side of performance management. You're able to go over to that person and go, Brendan, I've heard today that you may not be you know, 100%, not sort of displaying positive energy. Is everything okay? How can we help? What's going on? Do you need an extra 10 minutes today to get back above the line? Those conversations are difficult to start with, but when uh, you practice it, it gets easier. And as I said, you need to create an environment where people feel able to be vulnerable enough to say that to others. I knew I was winning at Gosford Private one day when I came. We, we sort of set up um, not negotiables, things that are not negotiable in our hospital. And we didn't start with the behaviours. We started with simple things like wear your name badge. And I knew one day that we were getting through to people when I was walking through the ward and uh, just you know, meeting with the staff and I saw a cleaner and I said, morning, Muriel, how are you? And she went, fine, but where's your name badge? I went, oh, you're right. I don't have my name badge on. Thank you. And I went off and got my name badge on. And I thought, that's fantastic. Now we've got the cleaner is more than happy to tell the CEO that's, we're, we're, that's not negotiable here. Get your name badge on. And I also knew we were winning as well with the staff who'd been there for a long time when we were getting written patient or staff complaints about performance management, where they were reflecting our values in that complaint, saying, if we value positive energy, if we value respect here, Beryl is not showing respect in the way that she is treating us. Brilliant results, isn't it? It's very rewarding. Yeah. And we were were very lucky. Um, the, The team at... Uh, the Gosford Private, where we sort of started this, it was a fantastic team to start with. But they they really grabbed this project with both hands, and and we had some fantastic results. Another important thing with when you're establishing a great culture is to to celebrate the wins. Celebrating the wins is is not only rewarding for you as a business. But it's also rewarding for the staff members. Uh, you and I connected with Chamber and uh, uh, other reward programs around on the Central Coast. Um, we uh, started entering in those sort of Chamber of Commerce awards and the hospital did amazing things. And it wasn't that me as the CEO was winning these things. It's all about the team. And so we used the team or we we engaged with the team to be part of that. And um they were very proud of some of the awards that they've won. And it, it started to permeate out into the healthcare world as well. And, and we were starting to see it 
being picked up by other hospitals in our group, the way we were going about this. But then we had, I had people contacting me from far and wide to ask us about how we do it. We even got invited to go and and speak at a, a patient care summit in in Cleveland in the US. Um, we were first Australian presenters ever at that conference, but they wanted us to come and talk about how we went about culture. They asked and, you. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So we went across and 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 gave a presentation in America. First time any of the Australians have been it's it's sort of the the world leading patient care summit, patient centered care. It's, mm. it was fantastic. Yeah, I I know that from what you'd share with me a while back, uh, and obviously just research around today's episode. For me, that actually is a really powerful thing. Like you have international, say so you and you speak in the the we, even though you were leading the organisation and you were asked to come along. But you know, again, an admirable trait in a leader talking about the we and the contribution of everybody. But chamber recognition, personally, I hold. Uh, little value in because yep. there's different ways of those things happening. Yes. But you personally and the organisation you've led and the organisations you've led, you've had recognition from international organisations and peer bodies. Yeah. That must be quite pleasing. Very rewarding. For you. Yeah. And it, I and mean, we're team. talking about culture and things today, but that culture has enabled us to be recognised in other things as well. But, um, providing a, an environment where people who are passionate about particular things actually sees growth and, and recognition in that area. We have some amazing sustainability es- experts in our hospital and uh, we've started some amazing sustainability projects and we started promoting what we were doing with those sorts of things on Facebook and LinkedIn, those sort of areas. And again, we st- we were contacted from the UK asking how we were doing this. Mm. It's important to be able to celebrate the wins and give staff the platform to be able to go outside the box a bit, you know. Um, that's when the people become innovative and they, they, if they're clear on what the goals are, they're always trying to be innovative to, to reach that goal. I just want to step back to the example about the name badge and the environment. You talked a bit about it's important to set an environment. How do you create an environment like that where anybody in the organisation can effectively challenge the CEO in a very respectful way and say, hey, where's your name badge? Yeah, it is difficult, but we we found that using something as mundane as your name badge as a starting block, something small, as I said, it's a slow burn with culture. You've got to take it a small bit at a time. Absolutely. Um, you, it Starting with something small that actually can enhance the environment anyway. Um, if you think about any business uh, 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 that has customer service related to it, if customers are walking in and, and the name badge is visible and at the front, it engages the consumer straight away anyway. So it actually enhances your business. But having a name badge, making sure that everyone's got it and that you yourself are being persistently consistent and and constantly pointing it out yourselves, getting your leadership team to do that and then enabling staff to do it as well because you're demonstrating the behaviour. It's uh, an environment where they're just doing what the leaders are doing. I know you've said a number of times it is a slow burn. I 100% agree with you. When did you feel like at let's say Gosford Private Hospital and your CEO role, when, do you, when did you feel, how long did it take 
for you to feel like you were winning the culture challenge or the cultural transformation you were making? I think it's a, it's a peaks and troughs thing. When we first started it and we had a, a leadership day and we went through the values and we talked to the whole leadership team and we gave a clear goal and this is our plan and this is the timeline and we're going to go back out to the staff now, that was very positive and we came out very engaged and very enthusiastic about it and and then started interacting with the teams. You get that can carry on for a little while, but then all of a sudden, as I say, expect the unexpected. Then you get, it becomes obvious we need to train people with conflict resolution or we need to train them in in behaviour management or we need to actually move to performance management of some people where this is floating up as being their intrinsic way of behaving. So you sort of go through a low period where you feel like, oh, we've actually taken two steps back. But then it's about persistent consistency, getting getting back on the horse and making sure that you're, you're still going in and walking around the wood and saying hi to everyone again this morning and, and ensuring that you communicate with those values that are important. Sometimes it's hard to, to get back above the line yourself, but it's the same for your staff. Empathy is, a, is something that we talk about a lot. It, it has a very healthcare oriented feel to it, I feel. But empathy, uh, we talk about it as it's not sympathy. Don't get involved with an emotional attachment. Just have an understanding that someone else might not be feeling about something the same way you are. Like I talked about patients walking into a hospital, every one of them has some form of anxiety, anxiousness, hope about their stay with you. So have empathy for that. And the way people react to Stressors is very different. Some people smile and go, okay, take a breath, and like they're up for the challenge. Others react negatively in their behaviour. What have you done or have you had to do anything to build your own resilience around those cultural troughs and the unexpected that does happen? I'm this type of person that actually I can be a bit hard on myself. I get sort of chastised about that a little bit. Um, I always, you mean you, you get given feedback about yeah, it? <laughs> yes, yes. Maybe that's a better way to talk about it. But um, uh, it gets highlighted to me that I, I often uh, I reflect on how I went about an engagement, how we went about a meeting or how we went about a particular thing. I always think about how I could have done that better rather than thinking about how did we do that well and then think about how I could do it better. So Myself, I, you know, I, I guess I do some of the the own learning things like podcasts and listening and reading and and those sorts of things. But um, engaging with other people who I, I respect as mentors, who uh, have no real vested interest in in what the outcome of uh, that conversation would be, I found that very helpful for me. I obviously have some some great contacts around town here who are um, very senior in, in the business world or, or, or have been executives for a long time and ask them how they deal with things. But I also use the third place, my third place, as a sense checker with those guys as well as to what's, what's the pub test for how I'm going and, and how I went about things. I do challenge myself a lot with how I perform there's a there's a lot of expectation on me i know that because of my role and 
some people's expectations about how I execute my role sometimes doesn't gel with the way I like to do it. But I always talk to other managers about if they've got problem with someone and the way they're going about a task, I said, well, are they still getting a skinned cat at the end of the day? Might not be the way you skin the cat, but if they've still got the skinned cat and they're still following best practice and they're still, you know, reinforcing our values and, you know, um, the way they've gone about it is still okay, then that's best for them. That's the most comfortable thing for them. So, yeah, it's a little bit of education for myself and, and reading and and talking to others. How important do you think that ability to reflect and increasing your own level of self-awareness around certain things and relating that to the impact that you can have as that ultimate leader in an organisation or business owner on the environment of trust that you're trying to create to build the culture you're trying to create? Yeah, it's very important. I guess um, emotional intelligence is something that we spend a lot of time with our leadership team. It was something that was really new terminology for them um, to talk about. And we've used uh, some local people who are very good at educating um, our team in in those sorts of things and doing a, a DISC personality assessment, educating them what that answer, what that result means as well. So I, I, I've done those things myself as well and, and thought about who I am, which I felt comfortable with what that was. But I think part of those assessments and education is teaching people how to deal with the other personalities. Interestingly, I, I did a DISC assessment again recently just as, you know, just to see what it was like again. And I found a Myers-Briggs type assessment, personality type assessment that I'd done 17 years ago. And I pulled them both up and they're almost exactly the same still. And um, my my intrinsic personality and my adjusted personality are almost the same as well, which is helpful for me as a leader because it means I don't have to change myself too much. But I guess like Matthew Elliott said about the change room, you you the type of person or the, th- the way you respond in different situations, you do have to change. And I, I think a lot about my personality in that situation. Um, as I said, I'm a positive guy. I, I end up uh, being a bit jovial about things, but I, I also know when to curb that back. I got told once before, uh, in the past uh, uh, by someone who was obviously watching me as a leader, they said, do you know I know when you're about to move, when you're about to flick the switch. I said, what switch is that? They said, the CEO switch. I said, because you change your posture, you breathe in, and you lower your voice. And it, it was a conscious thing I remember in the past, just going, okay, i got to calm myself internally to, so that it doesn't come out the wrong way. But people could visibly see that body language before you knew that, they were they were going to get called on something that was you know below the line. It's so interesting, and I, I smirk a little bit as well because I've had more than a handful of clients say similar things. Not about the I guess I'm not necessarily calling them on something, but when I'm needing to cut them off about where we're going and hey, we need to refocus into something. Even when I'm facilitating sessions, I've often had that feedback about when we spend a bit of time with you, we start to realise that movement that happens before the conversation comes in. (laughs) We're like a Mills and Boone novel, mate. We know what's going to happen. People (laughs) watch us enough times. Yes, that's true. That's true. But let's say the positive of that 
consistent messaging. Yes. You've mentioned consistent messaging. Yeah. Leadership is very much about consistent messaging. And again, another takeaway for me and hopefully for our audience today is that consistent messaging around those behaviours, those values, those do's, those don'ts, so you get that real clear contrast of those things and having the consistency, the persistence and the consistency around that to have these conversations. Yep. Um, and making time as the leader that you have done and you say in your day, you know, you try to be deliberate about often is getting out and observing. Yep. Like inspecting. It's not about trying to find people doing the wrong thing, but just being out and about so you can inspect those behaviours and you can realign things when needed. Exactly. Matt, leadership impact. There's two parts to this, first of all. I want to ask you, how do you want people to describe you as a leader? I like to hear people describing me as someone who is approachable. Being approachable enables people to come and be vulnerable, to be honest, to trust you, to be positive, someone who's smiling or always happy. And for me in my role in hospitals is a, someone who, who understands what we, we do and, and has a, a deep understanding and experience around the, the role that the hospital plays in people's lives. So I think that's what I'd like people to say. What's had the greatest impact on your leadership journey? I guess people-wise, you know, as a leader, my father has always been someone who's been at the forefront of business, business environments. Um, he works in the uh, in mining industry up in the Hunter Valley, and he's always part of the, the Chamber of Commerce and and the council, and 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 someone that you know people always come to refer to. I've seen always watched him as a kid interacting with people. I guess in the in the health industry, I've had some leadership mentors who were executives that demonstrated an environment that I wanted to be part of, and I try to enhance that in the way I run things. I guess as an effect on my leadership style, there's a lot of people as well that showed me the type of environment I didn't want to create. And I think as environments, the biggest thing that's affected the way I lead is probably my years as a nurse. Working in a trauma-intensive care unit in the UK, I still see things in my mind from from that experience. And uh, I think that what that's what enables me to show weakness, vulnerability, but also have great empathy for people. And COVID has been tough on everybody. And I wasn't at the, the coalface of dealing with COVID positive people getting into our PPE every day, but I was certainly part of making sure that 700 staff or three and a half thousand staff around the state felt safe in their employment, were given the right tools to look after people and run our hospitals and provide care. I mean, you and I have bumped into each other several times across the COVID period, and there were times I, I couldn't even talk to you. Why was that so emotional? What was it that was so hard for you as a leader of such a big organisation? The sense of responsibility for people when you have no control. There were days when the government would come out with new changes of regulations and they would be coming out every day different and we would have to change things every day. And for the staff and for the doctors and for the patients coming through all of our facilities, ultimately they come to me looking for the answer. Well, they want you to know the answer. And 
a lot of the time we didn't have it. And, you know, I, I, I care for our, our staff a lot. And um, that was pretty graphic. A lot of our staff, were their partners were losing jobs. It was becoming too stressful to even contemplate coming to work. That environment sort of brought out the best in people, but it also brought out the worst. Because as I said, people's ability to react to stress or their way they react to stress is, is different. So yeah, so COVID sort of changed my perspective a little bit, but it was also the time that I changed roles as well. So my my role now as a regional manager looking after CEOs who look after hospitals is different. And so I, I have a greater empathy for them in their roles of what they're trying to do. How do you impact on their cultures? It's exactly like what I was doing with the team in the hospital is walking around, calling out things that probably don't align with what we're trying to do, the company goals, the company vision, the the values, and uh, sort of sit, making suggestions about how we can go about fixing those things. A lot of time with employees as well, it's about and managers, leaders, anyone, it's not about giving them one solution or telling them what to do. It's about giving them a toolkit. Choose something that'll help. And sometimes people will execute something that isn't really right for their personality and it doesn't work. But if they find something that works well for their personality, they execute it so much better. So it's about providing many different ways to go about something. Skin the cat. Mate, two things you mentioned today and that last bit finally, they're the reasons why I had to have someone like you on the show. Very fortunate to have unbelievable guests on our show but you know seeing that one little action in the hospital about how you can't hold a coffee cup properly and spilling it everywhere (laughs) (laughs) but I I literally remember the pain in your face and the concern in your face when we run into each other around COVID I knew that you know things were tough for everyone and you know the responsibility I know you carried around and your deep care for people and you know what pain and anguish that must have caused over a really difficult time so mate it's an honour talking to people like you. Thank you very much. Well done on your international recognition and Thank what you. you've done with the team at Gosford and all of the hospitals that you were looking after then and now caring for again and all of the people in there. They're very lucky to have you as their uh, regional leader. Well done and thanks for being such a fantastic guest on the Culture Things podcast, buddy. Thanks, Brendan. My pleasure. What's the most critical element to change organisational culture? It's trust. It's a critical foundation to build on. Without it, you've got no basis to move forward. Building trust requires transparency. Creating transparency requires vulnerability. Vulnerability is a core component to develop as a leader. Without vulnerability, leadership development doesn't happen. That's why at the Culture of Leadership, one of the five foundational elements in our people system used to create confident leaders is building trust. These were my three key takeaways from my conversation with Matt. My first key takeaway, leaders make time to observe culture. To be more deliberate about changing the culture of your business, you have to be clear on what good behavior and poor behavior currently looks like. This will help you better understand what changes are needed. Understanding the culture requires you to take time to observe culture. My second key takeaway, Leaders show persistent consistency. They are persistently consistent in talking about values. 
sharing what good and poor behavior looks like in relation to the values. They are persistently consistent about weaving the values into everything they do. Leaders know maintaining or changing culture requires persistent consistency. My third key takeaway, leaders know culture change is a slow burn. It requires an unwavering focus with deliberate intentions every day. There'll be times when you feel like you're winning and times when you feel like you're losing. Trust in the process. The slow burn to achieve culture change is worth it. So in summary, my three key takeaways were leaders make time to observe culture. Leaders show persistent consistency and leaders know culture change is a slow burn. What will you do today to improve your organisational culture? Let me know at thecultureofleadership.com, on YouTube or via our socials. Thanks for joining me and remember, the best outcome is on the other side of a genuine conversation. Thanks for listening to The Culture of Leadership. You can access the show notes at thecultureofleadership.com. If you enjoy the show, please follow, rate and give a review on your favourite podcast platform.